On this prequel episode, we've got our Hatchet fan reaction, we're learning about the Chosen One trope, and previewing The Hunger Games Catching Fire. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. The air conditioning just kicked on as I started talking, so you may hear that in the background. Good, it's hot in here. <laughs> It's still going to be hot in here. The air conditioning in this room, like, doesn't work, it's and so, I don't know why. I know, and it, it's really unfortunate because we need to be able to, like, chill blast this yeah. room. We need to buy a little separate air conditioner yeah. and set it up in here for, like, an hour before we record. Yeah. And then turn it off and then just let it go. Because yeah. this room just gets so stuffy. It gets yeah, so I hot, and it's why. wild. I mean, the air conditioning works. I'm feeling it right now, but it doesn't seem to do, like, lower the yeah. temperature of the room. And, I, and just so you guys know, we don't have anything, like, sitting in front of the no. bed. My guess no is, furniture My guess is that, it, for whatever reason, this room stays warmer. There's lights in stuff but i think the the main reason is the thermostat's in a different room and so it it's adjusting for the thermostat where the thermostat is and this room is just always warmer i think partially too because of the sun i think the sun hits it more at the front yeah. of the house or the front of the apartment than anyways it doesn't you're welcome to, <laughs> to learning about the DF, this film is lit studio it's hot in here yeah it's a little warm uh, so, uh, as we mentioned, this is the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's a prequel episode. We've got a lot of segments to get into, including our first one, which is our patron shout-outs. We have one new patron this week. Joining us at the $5 Hugo Award-winning level, getting access to our bonus content backlog and future bonus content, is Diane. I believe this is Jedianne from Instagram. I believe so, yes. Thank you, Diane, for supporting us and joining in at the $5 level. Hope you enjoy our backlog of bonus content. We just put out a about an hour and 10 minute long discussion of Parasite. If you want to hear us talk about Parasite, you can uh, support us for five bucks and hear that discussion. Spoilers, it's a little political. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and as always, we have our Academy Award winning patrons, and they are V Frank, Prop Fund, Ben Wilcox, Jeff Niederhofer, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Youngs, Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Says Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter, and Alina Starkov, slash Delet Kolova. <laughs> Changed your name nice. uh, in reference to Shadow and Bone. <laughs> Unless it's a weird coincidence, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's a... I mean, you got it right there. If yeah. your name's Alina. Yeah, if your name's Alina. It's, 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 right it's low-hanging fruit. So thank you again to all of our Academy Award-winning patrons. You're the best. It's time now for our fan poll follow-up to Hatchet. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Real quick, I say a different thing every time mm -hmm. in terms of fan poll follow-up, fan reaction, listener poll follow-up, listener poll... I hate it. I hate okay, that it's well, a different thing every time, and I don't know what to... I don't know what I prefer, because every time yeah. I think a different version of it sounds better and more accurate, because the poll's, like, the least interesting part to me. So saying fan poll... But I like fan poll follow-up. I like the way that sounds, but also the poll is uninteresting to me. I like reaction. I like fan reaction. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the maybe most the most accurate. Well, here's a thought. Why don't we come up with a list of options? Fan poll, listener, reaction, follow-up, feedback. That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> Why don't we come up with a list of options and do a poll from amongst our listeners? We could do that. See we could do, and then we could do the fan what? poll follow-up to the fan poll poll. <laughs> fan. Po we have to come up with a really good name for that. The fan poll follow-up naming poll follow-up for listener feedback section or something something nightmarish uh yeah do that on patreon or something put a bunch of okay. uh just all the iterations of it and see what people prefer because it drives me crazy that i say a different thing every time okay we can do that speaking of patreon we did have four votes for the book on patreon zero for the movie we didn't get any comments either this time uh, but we did have those four votes for the book on facebook we had three votes for the book and zero for the movie 
this is going to be a recurring theme. Yeah. <laughs> Adam said, had to vote for the book, although I confess I didn't go watch the movie for a fair comparison. You're not missing a whole lot. No, not Adam. a whole lot. Because of this book, when I was a kid, I'd lie and tell my parents I was spending the night at a friend's house and then go out into the woods with a backpack and knife and an old survival manual and spend the night out there. Over a couple summers of doing it, I'd built a nice little primitive campsite and learned to start fires and make tools and traps and even caught and cooked a few rabbits. I'm vegan wow. now. Sorry, rabbits. <laughs> my parents never found out, thanks 90s lack of cell phones. And somehow I didn't die, so I consider it a positive experience and credit it to Hatchet. Plus, when I got that Mandarin copy of it in college, all that repetition was great for learning, so I didn't find it annoying at all. That's a great point. Yeah. You get a translation. It's excellent for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool, though. That's uh, I, I, I did similarly, but never, like, actually. I would just go out. There was, like, a... a an area of woods across the street from my house. There was like a little creek and mm. some woods. Uh, found out later that creek fed into the big cold water creek that gave everybody cancer in Ooh. my neighborhood growing up because they dumped a nuclear waste or something. Yep, not my creek. That'll do it. Yeah, not my creek. Uh, <laughs> the bigger but, creek. Uh, the bigger creek kind of like across the town from yeah. mine, but that mine like fed into. Uh, yeah, full of uh, full of like plutonium or something, nice. and like tons of people got cancer. And there's a whole HBO documentary about it. About uh, if, hmm. I don't know what it's called, but it, the, the the town I'm from is Florissant, and there's a creek there that I believe is called Coldwater Creek, and it was a big thing a few years ago that it came up. Um, so that's fun. But anyways, there was a wood there, and I used to go in like I did create like a little like shelter, and like I would go hang out there. Yeah. But I didn't like ever camp there or anything like that. I grew or like, up, you know, uh, lie to my Yeah, I grew up in a pretty heavily wooded area for a good portion of my childhood. I did spend a lot of time in the woods. Never tried to camp. I basically just was feral and terrifying <laughs> in the woods. No, I, I, I say terrifying. I've thought about this before. I've remembered back. I used to go in the woods and sing. Mm -hmm. And good thinking. Lord. I'm glad I never came across you <laughs> when I was a young <laughs> A lad. Uh, no, yeah, and thinking back on that, I'm like, you know... You spawned several ghost stories. I spawned <laughs> several ghost stories. Just, just, just because a, there were, like... Like, it was fairly heavily wooded, but there were, like, neighborhoods right. here and there. Yeah. Yeah, I probably spawned some rumors. Definitely. Absolutely. That's great. <laughs> uh, Goldie on Facebook said... Just wanted to agree with Brian. That scene in the book where Brian thinks about the pilot rotting book in the water <laughs> is terrifying. It freaked me out for weeks after I read the book as a kid. Mm -hmm. Hated it. Hated it. Hated it. <laughs> hated it. On Twitter, we had nine votes for the book and one for the movie. That one vote for the movie appeared immediately after I posted the poll, so I almost wonder if it was somebody messing with us <laughs> or something. Uh, but we did get one vote for the movie there. No comments defending it, mm -hmm. though. Kelly Napier said, even the movie is aware of how trash it is. That's why it's only available as a rip on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Shelby Suderman said, I picked the book and here are my reasons. As Brian said, it's much more intense. There's a moment after he sees the pilot underwater that I think would have stuck with me as a kid as we realize along with Brian that he's been eating the fish for weeks and the fish have been eating the pilot. It's a real circle of life thing. Yeah, there. I forgot about that moment. That is when he goes in and that is part of what makes it being a skeleton creepier. Yeah, is it's that pretty he gnarly. Sees it, he sees the fish have like eaten it and he's like, oh, God, I've been eating those fish. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I missed that in the movie. The movie Hatchet looks like a toy. Mm -hmm. It would not have kept him alive. The bear. I think it would have been more realistic if it was a lone grizzly being territorial, but as it was, I was waiting to learn that the bear was ill, like this was a Cujo situation or something. The reveal that it's a mom doesn't work because a mama bear isn't going to ditch her kids to challenge a potential threat. She's going to lead them as far from that threat as possible because she knows she'll need her strength to defend her cubs against other predators. It was very silly. 
I'll take Shelby's word for it. That sounds right. I don't know enough yeah, about bear I think behavior that's a to good know. Point. That sounds accurate. Though. Yeah, I think. I think any like mother animal would not choose to like take the fight yes. to Yeah, generally speaking, yeah. the black bears with I think what they're going for is that black bears with or any bear with cubs are more dangerous and and yes. and it is like the only time when you come across a black bear in the woods that you need to be worried is if she has cubs nearby, but that's when you come across them. Yeah. Less so like them stumbling across I don't know. I Well, and and that's the thing too is that it wasn't even that Brian and the bear like stumbled across each other while the cubs were nearby. Right. It was that the bear was like actively seeking, seeking him, him out. out. Yeah, that's what's weird. Yeah, know? that's really weird. But I think again, I think the cubs thing I think it's part of what the how they tried to justify <sighs> yeah. the the behavior in, yes. in the sense that because it is Black bears are really only, again, from what I've heard, only particularly dangerous with cubs around or like certain other, you know, if they're hungry or ill or something weird. But, um, but I think what's going on is that they, there's no, I don't think, I mean, maybe, no, I guess there are trained grizzlies, but it's really like, it's probably way easier to get a black, a black bear, bear in your movie yeah. than it is to get a grizzly bear in your movie. <laughs> well, and if it, and if it was a grizzly, they never could have had that scene where he wrestles with the bear. Oh, the, I it's, mean, already stupid, it's already but stupid. If it was a grizzly, but if it was a, a grizzly, stupid. would just like he would be like a little greasy smear. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He would have been dead immediately. It's already kind of ridiculous yeah. that he wrestles with the. It, not kind of. It's completely ridiculous that he wrestles with a black bear in the. It's, in the yeah. Lake. It's, it's completely ridiculous. I, but I buy it more than a grizzly. Yeah, yes. It's just the whole, like, every aspect of the bear storyline only works if you absolutely do not think about no. it even a little bit. Yeah. Uh-huh, for sure. Tracy Drews said, The book was so much better than the movie. I had never read the book, but I am glad I read it. The movie is in such need of a remake. Also, that sad movie hatchet. Need I say more? You do not need say more. It's so bad. Um... It's it's uh, fun that uh, I'm glad that they decided to read the book. Yeah, and and watch along this time. That's uh, always always a I always find it very satisfying when somebody, um, you know, reads and watches something for the mm -hmm. first time because of our show. That's yeah, always, that's really I gratifying. I get a little thrill out of that, and it's it's <laughs> especially nice when it is something like Hatchet that yeah. means a lot to one or both of us. Yeah. Yeah, or, or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's nice. And I like when you tell us you do that, too. That makes it even better because then we know. I say it makes it better. It makes it anything because otherwise we have no <laughs> idea. There might be people out there listening and watching along so many times and just never saying anything. And Diane Takaki said, I'm picking the book not only because it does a better job at everything, but also because I don't have to look at that mullet. Trademark TM that mullet. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, it was quite a mullet. Quite a mullet. Another reason we need a remake. Yeah. <laughs> mullet with no more mullet for uh, Mr. Brian. What was the final score? Well, uh, on Instagram, uh, we oh, didn't we didn't get any, any comments, comments on Instagram, but we did have eleven votes for the book and zero for the movie. Um, so our our final winner was the book with twenty seven votes to the movie's one. And that one may have been a mistake. Could have been. <laughs> I feel like we may, we may <laughs> We're have not had sure. a, Like, this is one of those ones where I would just be astounded if there was anybody who preferred the book. Like, like, so what was the one where we just did that was a huge... Um, one of them dominated. Was it Hunger Games? Well, that was hung like, yeah, the Hunger Games did have a pretty big landslide for the book. What was the one we did before that? Before that, we did The Princess Bride, and I... No, it wasn't that one. I think it might have been The Hunger Games. Well, there was one I commented on that the number was, was super slanted, and I wasn't expecting it to be, and I don't I think, think it was The Hunger Games. Are you sure that wasn't The Hunger Games? It might have been. Either way. <laughs> um, but there it was like, you know, there was like five votes for the the mm -hmm. movie or something like that. And I can understand... A f I, I believe that there's a handful of people that listened that were like, I preferred the movie. Yeah. <laughs> this one, I feel like that one vote was not a real vote, <laughs> but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Like, the only thing I could think is that maybe we stumbled upon one person who, like, 
watched this movie as a kid that, and like I guess that wore makes out se- the VHS. I guess or that makes sense because that was my thought for Hunger Games is that like those few people who liked the the movie or voted for the movie probably just hadn't read the book and just mm-hmm. like the movies because they're fine movies. Like they just like yeah. yeah I like the movie I'll vote for the movie even though I haven't read the, you know and that's fine. Yeah. We encourage you you know if even if you haven't read or or watched you can vote if you just have seen the movie and like it you can vote for the movie that's fine. Um, and so you might be right, but I, that's still surprising to me because of how well known the book is in comparison to this non-existent movie. Yeah. Like Hunger Games is a wildly popular movie series. So I understand people who have just seen the movie. Right. Like, well, that and makes that's sense why it me. was a little bit surprising that there was such a landslide with the Hunger Games because the movies were also yeah. so popular. Yeah. It is. It's just, yeah. I, I, or you know what? I think I figured it out. That one vote may have been jared whatever the kids the actor who played <laughs> brian stumbled across our poll and was like he frequently searches twitter to see if yeah, people are talking about talking about a cry in the wild he saw saw cry in the wild discourse and was like of i get to vote for my movie <laughs> guarantee he likes hope, the book more than the movie i too. hope that's what happened <laughs> yeah all right it is now time to learn a little bit about the chosen one trope no matter what anybody tells you words and ideas can change the world the chosen one is a trope that predates literature we can find examples of this trope in most mythologies um, in Arthurian legend, even in religious scripture, uh, Jesus Christ literally means Jesus, the anointed one. And I don't know if it gets any more chosen one than that, y'all. <laughs> so the chosen one is a character who has been picked by some force and is now the only one in the narrative who's capable of resolving the plot. Mm-hmm. And usually this is by defeating the antagonist or maybe some broader representation of evil. So the chosen one is usually one person, hence the one, uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. There can be a group of chosen ones. Um, there can even be an entire chosen people, although I would say within a narrative that tends to function a little bit differently than like the chosen one. Mm-hmm. But the key is that these characters are held in esteem for their expected potential, which is occasionally determined by their past accomplishments, but not always. A character can be the chosen one due to their lineage, like King Arthur, or like take your pick of Star Wars protagonists. Mm -hmm. Uh, The chosen one could also be prophesied, like Neo in The Matrix, Chosen one might be the only person who possesses a particular power, like Alina Starkov in the Shadow and Bone series. And the also I, foretold that double. Dip, yes, also but yes, foretold. But yes, the, I would say they double dip often a lot oh, yeah, of the time. It's not yeah. uncommon for them to. Yeah. And the idea of a past accomplishment can also be played around with, like Harry Potter getting awfully lucky as a literal baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a weird one because it's foretold but also yeah that one's also kind of a double dip but then it like twists back on itself and like yeah he is the chosen one because of (laughs) x y yeah because the villain chose him yeah by process of by by deciding that he was the chosen (laughs) one Uh, that it was a little bit weird yeah so there are a lot of different branches and sub tropes within this larger trope which tends to be when you have a trope that is as broad yeah. and oft used as this one is. I'm not going to go into excruciating detail here. I just want to run through a few of the more common variants that you might see. So the chosen one might be indicated by some sort of distinguishing physical characteristic. Uh, for example, in the novel The Giver, those who can see beyond are identified by their pale blue eyes. Now, this was apparently changed to a birthmark in the film, which I haven't seen that movie. I don't know why you would change that. Mm. But um, and birthmarks and scars are often also pretty common, like yeah. chosen one distinguishers. Yeah. 
There are a few extensions on the idea of the chosen one being the only person with a certain power. Uh, the chosen one might be distinguished from others because only they can wield a particular weapon, like Thor and his hammer, or only they can ride or tame a beast of legend, um, like Harry Potter's ease with riding a hippogriff. He's basically the only one who manages to do it successfully. Uh, I was which... going to make reference to... Um... Isn't it uh, Hercules who tames mm, Perseus? Perseus, Perseus who tames um, the rides Pegasus. Pegasus, but Pegasus also has other riders. Oh, did I? Yeah, okay, I wasn't sure mythology. But it, I mean, it is a good example, and this doesn't have to. But to be, be fair, like, hippogriffs have other riders in Harry Potter. Yes. <laughs> it's not the only person um, who can ride it. And but. you know, I want to tack on to that. I use that as an example because I feel like people are familiar with right, it. Yeah. Um. You know, he's not the chosen one because he can ride a hippogriff. Right, it's just it's kind of, of like it's an extra layer of like this person is special. Yeah. Uh, and outside of fantasy, that also might be extended to the chosen one being the only one capable of using or piloting a particular machine. Mm -hmm. I don't have a good example for that one. Um, being the only one that can do it, I don't have a great example. But the I mean, it's very common in the Star Wars series that the chosen ones <laughs> throughout the course of the movies are exceptionally good pilots mm. sort of just inherently mm -hmm. like Anakin is a pod racer at like, you know, as a six year old, he can pod race uh, and, and fly uh, spaceships and stuff. Um, uh, Ray and, and, and uh, Luke, they all, all of the Skywalkers, although she's a whatever. Oh God. <laughs> um, but that whole relative, they're not in the same bloodline, but kind of uh, th like they're all, all of the chosen ones in the star Wars are like inherently good pilots, like from a young age without mm -hmm. as much training as it seems that other people have to go through. Like Luke is a very good pilot yeah. without having done a whole lot. Same for Ray with um, being able to fly the millennium Falcon, like, Right yeah. away, and that's um, another thing that I thought of was Pacific Rim. I'm actually, you've never actually seen. Pacific I've never Rim, actually but... seen Pacific Rim, so I didn't include it because I'm not sure that there's like a chosen one narrative yeah, within I, that story. I, do, I wouldn't. It w I wouldn't think there is, but I don't know. But I know that it. there's an element of like, uh, like the big machines of like yeah, the pilot pilots, like yeah. being compatible with the machine. Mm, yeah. No. Anyway. Uh, the Chosen One could be the latest iteration in a long line of Chosen Ones, as in Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Avatar the Last Airbender. Every generation, a Slayer is, or whatever the intro. <laughs> I don't remember what the intro is, but something like that. Stories also often use the Chosen One trope to explore how much being the Chosen One would actually suck whether that's because you're being hunted down all the time or because it isolates you from others, et cetera, et cetera. Pretty much every yeah. chosen one. Yeah, every, every, pretty much everyone has some element of that, of like, yeah. this sucks, y'all. Yeah, it, yeah, it's one of the more common. And it's one of the, the things that I think is one of the reasons the chosen one trope is so popular is that's a very easy way to universalize the human experience of mm -hmm. feeling isolated and alone that most people go through yeah and then to give it grander stakes like give it yeah. a grander um grounding in like something beyond just we right. all feel isolated yeah, and alone and I, I throughout the course is, of our lives at times i think that is something that is appealing about this trope that people tend to kind of like ignore when they're complaining about it oh well, are we going to talk about people complaining about uh, it no? i have a mention of okay, it okay because um, i wanted to talk about that we can yeah we can talk about it um but i you know i think that what is kind of unique about this trope is that it is able to be both like fantasy insert and incredibly relatable yeah yeah i think that's the thing is that it, it's definitely one of those it's it's just, like I said, it's a way to um, turn something that is a completely universal human experience 
or at least a, a relatively universal human experience, like I said, of feeling isolated, alone. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody understands me. Nobody understands you. But even beyond that, even even disregarding the sort of uh, how much it would suck to be the chosen one, um, we're you know there's that the, the famous saying you're everybody's the hero of their own story. I right. think inherently everybody, f- the chosen one is is relatable because inherently we're all stuck in our own singular viewpoint and so kind of we're all inherently like our own chosen one like we are like you're you're only you're 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 only your story really only matters to you and it's the most not really only matters to you but it's like the your story is the singular most important thing in the universe to you you are the chosen one to yourself yeah and by extension of that, I think that stories about sort of more like chosen ones who are actually <laughs> like uni- uh, uh, cosmically important in some way is something that it just takes what something that we all identify with and all feel and just extrapolates it to it's like reasonable mm-hmm. and again elevated. Uh, version that that makes it an interesting story versus just the universal experience that we all go. It just takes something that we all feel and it's just like, but yeah, but what if it really that was that? Like, what if the, yeah. the way you experience the universe and, and the fact that you feel like the this like, singular what if those entity feelings were validated? What if those yeah feelings were <laughs> validated by the universe going, yeah, you are special, <laughs> you are the chosen one, yeah. Uh, my last um, subtrope here is one of my personal favorites, uh, a subversion in which the chosen one doesn't seem like a typical hero and their true potential has to be uncovered. A few examples of stories that use that Kung Fu Panda, the Lego movie, 2019's Shazam, which I really enjoyed, mm-hmm. um, and The Hobbit. Yeah. That one's interesting, too, because I think there's layers to it in the sense of like because i think a lot of stories chosen one stories you try to utilize that subversion or at least try to like lay claim to that subversion Mm -hmm. even when it's not necessarily the case like i'm thinking like no i agree i think yeah a lot of uh, a lot of them try to lean into that like underdog who came from nowhere yeah kind like of like thing. harry potter does that yeah obviously like like there it, like there's harry potter has this element to it of you know harry, when harry finds this out he's like but who am i i'm just some dumb kid who i don't i didn't even find out about wizards and i don't know anything and i'm not particularly smart and i'm not particularly blah 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 um and i think it tries to do that a little bit mm-hmm. and, and there are other stories but like at the same time, it's <laughs> there's an element to it of like, but th- but there isn't. I guess it is. I guess it is accurate to Harry Potter in the sense that it's not. Like there is a slight subversion there in the sense that it's not. Um, I'm trying to think of an example where that isn't the case. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I guess I'm trying to think now of an example where the chosen one is somebody who is like who you expect to be the chosen one or who fits the the role of being the chosen one i guess that's what i'm getting at is that to me it's like every chosen one trope it's almost inherent to the chosen one trope that the person chosen isn't particularly like special well you know what i mean like I, i think though i think there's a difference here between like the chosen one not being particularly special and the chosen one having to like do character development in order to get to the point where they're ready to take on that responsibility. I guess that's true, but both of those things feel inherent to the chosen one trope. Like those, both of those aspects of it to me almost feel like you don't have a chosen one trope without that. You just have a hero story. Fair enough. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like those almost feel like inherent parts of the chosen one because they have to, otherwise you just have knight in shining armor saving the day. Yeah, I get what you're saying. 
So the chosen one trope isn't going anywhere anytime soon, uh, but it does seem like audiences are a little burnt out on it, particularly following it being a major element in a lot of young adult media during the 2000s and 2010s. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen complaining. Oh yeah, about the Pe- trope. People complain about that. I feel like I've complained about it before. I mean, it's definitely it was part of my. It was definitely part of my praise for The Last Jedi Mm -hmm. was that I liked the fact that it wasn't that it that it pulled away from the chosen one trope that we set up in The Force Awakens of Rey being this chosen, you know, The Force Awakens sets up this idea and this mystery of who Rey is and, and, you know, what where does she come from? What is her lineage? What is her story? And it and it's it sets all the groundwork for a traditional chosen one narrative, and I really enjoyed that Ryan Johnson and and you know everybody involved in, in the writing and creating the Last Jedi took that and was like, no, fuck chosen ones. It's <laughs> just a person thrust into a situation doing her best. Mm-hmm. Like I liked that a lot, and so I, I think there I I can understand the appeal of being burned out on chosen one narratives. Right. Um, that being said, I think they're just so inherently universal. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I think they're incredibly inherent to the way that we tell stories. Yeah. That I just don't think you're ever going to get rid of it. And I think as long as it's the story is finding an interesting way to tell a chosen one story. Yeah. Then it's, can be good like just there's not anything inherently wrong with it using the like every trope there's nothing wrong with using the trope as long as you do it in a way that works and is interesting and tells a compelling story i mean that's true of every trope ever yeah but this one in, in particular because it is something that people complain about a lot i do think having doing interesting things with the chosen one trope um, I even like, it's one of the reasons I really like The Last Jedi, I like setting up a chosen one trope and then undercutting it completely. Like, mm-hmm. I liked that The Force Awakens set that up and yeah, prepped you for it. Yeah, that's an interesting subversion. Yeah, prepped us for it and, and built off, you know, decades of Star Wars movies where there's always been a chosen one and then cut that out from underneath us. I really liked that. A lot of people didn't, but I did. And I I really think that as long as you do it in a, in a way... either using a chosen one trope or not, I think if you do it in a way that's interesting and and tells a narrative that is compelling, then I don't care. I don't care about using tropes as long as you use them well. (laughs) And that's the correct opinion to have. So, (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) And and I, I get being burnt out on it because it has been something that we've seen a lot in the past couple decades in media. Um, but, but yeah, as long as you're using it well, it doesn't really matter. No. So I wanted to discuss this trope during our Hunger Games series because I would really like to come back to it later and talk about how we think Katniss fits into the trope of the Chosen One, if at all. I thought this was really interesting that you were... T- I was gonna, I wanted to talk about this because I thought it was really interesting that you put this here. Mm-hmm to discuss during Hunger Games because I think whether or not Katniss is a chosen one trope is an interesting discussion to have. Um, Because I think that having her initially volunteer feels like a subversion of the trope, but then much of the decision-making is immediately taken away from her and she's left with very little like control and autonomy, which is much more in line with what we usually see from the chosen one trope. And I think that could be intentional given that we know Suzanne Collins has had some things to say about how the media and other powers utilize stories and narratives. So I'm interested in revisiting that as we discuss both Catching Fire and Mockingjay and also hearing what our listeners think. I agree. I think it'll, it's a really interesting topic to broach. Like, it's a, it's a simple thing to discuss in relation to, like, if we had done it in relation to, like, Harry Potter, boring, yeah. boo, like, whatever. Dull. It's just, it is, yes. They literally say he's the chosen it's, one. It's, it's, uh, 
I am the chosen one. That's a great, the movie had a great line of yeah. riff on that. But yeah, I, uh, obviously there's nothing interesting to talk about there. Here I think it is really interesting. And I think there's lots of ass angles to approach it from uh, specifically because I think, you know, one of the things that I was thinking of when you were discussing it is that is, 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 is a, is a utilization of this trope in a completely different way than we usually see it where she's the chosen one, not by it's it, to me, it feels like a, a different, just a, a different, like one of the different avenues of chosen one again, mm-hmm. from what I, I'm five chapters into catching fire right now. Um, but from my vague memory of the rest of the books, to me, it feels a little bit like a one of the offshoots of a chosen one narrative. And I don't even know what it would be where she's not chosen by any sort of lineage or any sort of magical powers or anything mm-hmm. like none. None of the traditional chosen one stuff like she doesn't have particular skills. She doesn't have particular. I mean, she has skills, but they're not like outlandish when they're not special they're not super she's not the only one who can shoot a bow and arrow and and she doesn't have any sort of lineage and she doesn't have yeah no super unique special skills um all these sort of things but she is chosen by circumstance yeah and by the and then by the ultimately she becomes chosen by the social political climate that she exists in yes like she becomes this thing that she is no longer in control of. yes and that's exactly why i want to talk about it because at its essence that is what a chosen one is yeah yeah she gets chosen slave to the narrative she gets chosen by pan m and all of the many many uh different like groups operating within yeah um pan m and all of it is without really her choosing. And that, I think, is what makes it an interesting sort of maybe slight subversion slash just different version of the chosen one trope. And I think it is something that will definitely be interesting to discuss as we move forward. All right. Speaking of Catching Fire, let's go ahead and learn a little bit about the book. You saved us. I know that. I can't go on acting for the cameras and then just ignoring each other in real life. She's not who they think she is. And she has to be eliminated. I agree, but in the right way, at the right time. We have to go before they kill us. They will kill us. People want to fight. I'm staying here. They fought very hard in the games, Miss Everdeen. But they were games. Would you like to be in a real war? Imagine thousands of your people dead. Your loved ones gone. What do I need to do? Catching Fire is a 2009 science fiction young adult novel by American novelist Suzanne Collins. Uh, It is the follow-up to the 2008 bestseller The Hunger Games and the second installment in The Hunger Games trilogy. Some major themes of the novel include survival, authoritarianism, rebellion, interdependence versus independence, sacrifice, and the influence of pop culture, to name just a few things. Catching Fire had a preliminary release date of September 8th, 2009, but it was moved up to September 1st after retailers requested that they move it to before Labor Day and the start of school for many of their readers. Interesting. The novel had an initial print of 350,000 copies, which grew to over 750,000 by February of 2010. Not too bad. I thought this was interesting. I did a lot of digging here trying to find stuff about this. Okay. Scholastic hosted an essay writing contest in May of 2009 with the prompt, how would you survive the Hunger Games? Um, They did offer um, autographed advanced reader copies of Catching Fire as prizes, uh, but the ultimate winner of that contest, 17-year-old Kaylee Hyde of Seattle, wrote that she would be the girl with the silver tongue and use her words to beat other participants. 
which I feel like wouldn't work. I was about to say, <laughs> I hope she went into detail because just on I the surface level, that's like so not a real. To see if I could find a copy of this essay and I couldn't. Um, yeah, but like just surface level, that really seems like it wouldn't work. But that's like somebody but who like, watched a little bit of Survivor and was like, I know I, how to win Survivor. <laughs> I'll just outwit everybody and I'll just wheel and deal. And it's like, OK, but this isn't Survivor. Yeah. They just shoot you in the face. Like what? <laughs> but to be fair, that is the kind of thing that like. These contests eat up. Right. Yeah, some well, weird outside the box thing. Like I said, I would have to see the whole thing yeah. to see if there was some semblance of a plan <laughs> or if it was just like, <laughs> I'm going to talk my way out of every situation. It's like, what? Okay. But like, how? <laughs> uh, Kaylee also won a signed copy of The Hunger Games and Lunch with author Suzanne Collins. Well, there you go. I feel like Suzanne Collins sat down and was like, all right. Listen. <laughs> This makes no sense. Do you even know I know what you the won, Games but like, is? do you get how these things work? <laughs> Can't talk your way out of the arena. Catching Fire received mainly positive reviews from critics, including Publishers Weekly, Booklist, and the New York Times, which wrote Collins has done that rare thing. She has written a sequel that improves upon the first book. As a reader, I felt excited and even hopeful. Could it be that this series and its characters were actually going somewhere? Somebody just got done reading Twilight, apparently. Hey. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> speaking so of refreshing. Speaking of Twilight, though, <laughs> hold on to your hat. All right. However, not all reviews were positive. A review from Entertainment Weekly complained that the book was weaker than its predecessor, writing... Katniss pretends to be in love with her sweet-natured games teammate, Peta Malark, but she secretly pines for brooding Gale, a childhood friend. Except, why? There's little distinction between the two thinly imagined guys, other than the fact that Peta has a dopier name. Collins conjures none of the erotic energy that makes Twilight, for instance, so creepily alluring. Ooh, okay, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. I know, there's a lot there. A lot to unpack there. I, I mean, yes, none of the erotic energy <laughs> that makes Twilight creepily alluring is there because that it's a whole, it's a different, whole different thing. It's a whole different thing, yeah. But that being said, I think there's a lot of distinction. Well, I... I guess I kind of get what this reviewer is saying in the sense of we... We still have spent so little. Well, I I don't remember where we're at by the end of Catching Fire. We still spent so little time with Gale that like yeah, it's hard to like really get a grasp for it. But you do get it comes across still that they're just uh, and and also I think they're taking a way too like surface level one note. Like they're actually taking too much of a. They're like failing the the Bechdel test so hard that they're like inverting it's like flipping around on itself of like why how can she not like what how are we supposed to care which person she ends up with when they're so similar and like not focusing on the point that the book is even if that was true which i don't necessarily think it was the book is way more worried is way less worried about that than mm -hmm. apparently this author is i don't know i guess maybe this author went in expecting or this not author this reviewer yeah was like expecting something different i don't know I, I just I had to I had to include both of those quotes because yeah. I felt like we had one person that was excited to not be reading Twilight yeah, right. and, and another person that was disappointed, to not, disappointed to not be reading Twilight. Twilight, yeah. Both the both ends <laughs> of the of the Twilight spectrum. So despite catching fire not having the erotic energy that made Twilight so creepily alluring. Time Magazine did place it at number four. You know four. what? I'm just going to say, I'm not, I am not out here trying to put this Entertainment Weekly reviewer on blast for being horny on Maine. Go out there. You do you. <laughs> I think it was a bit of a, a surface level and like meh, meh read of the Hunger Games, but I get it. You're into vampires. Fuck. Go for it. Go get them. Sorry. Uh, Time Magazine did place Catching Fire at number four on its list of the top 100 fiction books of 2009, 
while People magazine rated it at the eighth best book of 2009. It also won the Publishers Weekly 2009 Award for Best Book of the Year. Interesting. Do those have categories beyond? I honestly don't know. Uh. I mean, it just like the source that I looked at just said like best book of. Yeah, I bet it's. I bet I bet if they don't have categories, it has a lot to do with like number of copies sold. I was about to say it has probably has a lot to do with popularity as opposed to like any sort of actual. Not that there is any objective rank, like, but no, there's. I mean, there's no, there's no way to. There's no way to do. I'm just saying that, like, it, it probably is. Yeah. It probably is much more of like a popularity. Well, type right, of thing. and the, and the the publications, Time, People, Publishers Weekly, none of those things that are looking are they're not looking at literary merit. No, <laughs> they're just not. Yeah, fair enough. All right, I'm not gonna look at literary merit either because I'm talking about The Hunger Games: Catching Fire, the movie. There's no literary merit. There. I don't know. Really it was a good try. <sighs> I liked it. This is the 75th year of the Hunger Games. The tributes are to be reaped from the existing pool of victors. I get to say goodbye. So what do we do? I think these games are going to be different. The 75th Hunger Games! Ready to work? Captain 17! The girl on fire! I want you guys to forget everything you think you know about the games. Last year was child's play. This year, you're dealing with all experienced killers. Any last advice? Stay alive. The Hunger Games Catching Fire is a 2013 film directed by Francis Lawrence, also known for I Am Legend, Constantine, and about a million music videos from before those movies. So he, he was a music, a music video director who then like, crossed over into film, into film which is nice. not uncommon. There are quite a few people who do that. Uh, and he directed, I mean, if you look through his IMDb, he directed a ton of, like, Beyonce and Lady Gaga, like, mm. just tons of huge... Huge music videos. Good for him. Uh, it was written by Suzanne Collins, Simon B- Beaufoy, and, um, oh, sorry. It was written by Suzanne Collins, Simon Beaufoy, also known for Slumdog Millionaire and 127 Hours, and Michael Arndt, uh, who wrote The Force Awakens, Inside Out, Toy Story 3, and Little Miss Sunshine. So speaking of chosen one tropes. Yeah. He wrote The Force Awakens, or was one of the writers on. Obviously, there was J.J. Abrams and other people involved in The Force Awakens, but uh, it was he hasn't actually doesn't actually have a ton of writing credits. Mm. And The Force Awakens and this movie, and like I said, Inside Out, Toy Story, and Little Miss Sunshine. He's like seven writing credits, and those that's like all of them. Uh, the but film what writing credits they are. Yeah, no, he really. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the first one was like Little Miss Sunshine, which yeah. was like a little in- indie film that got really big and yeah. that kind of springboarded him into a bunch of other stuff. Uh, so this film has a ninety percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, a seventy six percent on Metacritic, and a seven point five out of ten on IMDb. I forgot to look up and compare this to the first one. Dang it! I I did that. Hold on, I'll do it right now, real time, because I did that for Twilight, and I thought oh, it was yeah, interesting. Yeah, I remember that you doing that. And for now Twilight. I can't. The Hunger Games. So on Rotten Tomatoes, The Hunger Games has an eight, the first one has eighty four percent fresh. It has a seven point two on IMDb, and a Metacritic score of sixty eight. So slightly lower on all counts. The first one. So this movie is slightly better reviewed by both audiences and critics than interesting than uh, the first one. It made six hundred and eighty-five million dollars against a budget of a hundred and forty. Eight hundred and sixty-five. It made eight hundred and sixty-five million against a budget of one hundred and forty million, making it the highest-grossing Hunger Games uh, movie and the fifth-highest-grossing movie of twenty thirteen. The film stars all of our returning cast, plus Philip Seymour Hoffman as Plutarch Heavensby, Jeffrey Wright as B.T. Latier. Also stars newcomers Sam Claflin, Lynn Cohen, Jenna Malone, Amanda Plummer, Meta Golding, Bruno Gunn, Alan Richman, and other people, or Alan Richson, and a bunch of other people I didn't recognize. 
So on April 10th, 2012, it, would not, it was announced that Gary Ross, the director of the first film, would not be returning to direct the sequel due to a tight and fitted schedule. Apparently, whatever those words mean. <laughs> I get tight schedule. I've never heard fitted, fitted schedule. schedule, though. Yeah. Uh, Lionsgate would go on to officially announce that Francis Lawrence uh, would be the director of Catching Fire on May 3rd, 2012. Two days later, it was reported that Michael Arndt would rewrite the script, uh, originally written by Simon Bufoy, I believe. Uh, he was paid $400,000 a week to rewrite the script. Damn. Now, I imagine he didn't take months to do it. It was probably a matter but of a few weeks, have. but still... <laughs> How do I get into that level of this game? <laughs> yeah. And this is pre-Hunger Games. Or, sorry, pre-Force Awakens, yeah. where he was pulling 400000 a week. I mean, he had done Inside Out. He had done... No. No, this no, is pre-Inside pre Out. Inside Out. He had done, was this even pre-Toy Story 3? Had he no, only Toy done... Toy Story 3 was 2010. Okay. So he had done Toy Story 3 and Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. So he had, At least. At yeah. least, yeah. And then some other stuff, probably. But, yeah. But none of his big, like, Inside Out and Force Awakens are, like, the big, big movie. Apparently Obviously, I need, to, I need to write the next Little Miss Sunshine. Yep. Yes, you do. I agree. You it's need to do that. You should do all that. all I have to do, you guys. You should do that. I agree. <laughs> uh, so, Jenna Malone plays one of the um, tributes in this film. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's, apparently, there's a scene in the movie where she strips. And I don't remember this from the book. Oh. But apparently there's a scene, and maybe it's not in the book. I don't know. Uh, there's a stripping scene where she strips in a hotel elevator, and that Saucy. was filmed in a real hotel that was not closed for production. And at one point, the doors opened during the shoot, and, a, and like one of the hotel workers just saw her naked. Because apparently she also actually stripped like naked on the set oh. for some reason. I don't know why. Spicy. Yes, very spicy. She, uh, she plays, um, she was in a movie that we did like semi-recently. She was in Pride and Prejudice. Yes, she was in Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Uh, so there's a scene in this movie where Katniss, Finnick, and Peta. Uh, Finnick, by the way, is one of the other tributes, and he's played by Sam Claflin. Um, he's the guy with the trident. Oh, the guy with the trident. Yes. Uh, they eat fish at one point in this movie, and in that scene in the film, uh, the three actors are actually eating real raw fish. Sushi. And this was very difficult for both... Uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Sam Claflin as they did not particularly like fish. But apparently, uh, what's his name was fine with it. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Peter, uh, Josh Hutcherson didn't yeah. really have a problem mm, with it. Interesting. Or at least not as much as them. Again, these are all IMDb facts. I didn't mention that these last <laughs> few, who knows how true they are. I just like throw bullshit out there. So this was the highest grossing film of 2013 in North America. Apparently, I think the fifth highest grossing was in the world that I mentioned earlier. This was really interesting. And the reason I, Included this note. It was the first film to top the annual box office with a top-billed female lead since The Exorcist in 1973. Wow. And the first with a woman as the sole protagonist and primary marketing focus since The Sound of Music in 1965. Hmm. I'm assuming... Again, this is an IMDb fact. I don't know how they categorize... I don't know how they figured this out because I... I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying I actually would believe it. But there may be some example that this person, I don't know who yeah. put this, this note together yeah, or where this information. Yeah, it does seem like a long time to go in between those. But, but it's but, not outlandish. But it's not outlandish. It. And I think that would also, that could be skewed just by like the sheer lack of like top build female yeah. protagonists. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, I actually believe it. It's just... It, I believe it, but at the same time, I'm like, there's got to be like one thing. Like, I'm I'm not I'm yeah. not uh, uh, I'm not ruling out that that it's, it's one of very few. I'm just like, there's got to have been like a thing. But because then I thought I was like, well, like Alien, yeah, Alien, huge block. I made a ton of money. Uh, primary female lead, but she's not the sole protagonist, and she's also was not remotely the focus of the marketing. I would yeah. imagine based on the, yeah. like that movie was marketed as an alien scary movie. I'm pretty sure. Like you look, she's not on the poster for the movie, so right. like the poster for Alien and is I just like an alien. And I don't know off the top of my head if she would have been top billed at the time. I Do you think so? I think she's top billed, but she also might not have been. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if she wasn't. She definitely was in the sequels, but um, in the first one, I actually don't know if, if she was. But but that was just the first one that popped into my head. I was like, well, Alien yeah. probably made a ton of money. Maybe the, yeah. maybe it didn't. Maybe the first one didn't make that much money. I don't know. Well, and I think, too, what 
what helps with these facts is that they are like so specific. Yeah. Like a top build female lead and then sole protagonist and primary, primary marketing, marketing focus. focus. Yeah. Yeah. And again, in Alien, she's not the sole protagonist. Mm-hmm. Like there's the other Marines and stuff at t- like so it's it, I mean, she is kind of the sole. You I can see but but I would argue that Katniss isn't the sole protagonist in like in the same way, like Katniss like Peta is yeah. also a protagonist. She's, she's the main not, she's protagonist. She's not the sole protagonist in the same way that Maria is in The Sound of Music. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, just thought it was interesting and worth talking about. Uh, so Jennifer Lawrence said that while filming in the arena, apparently she hit herself with the bow while running at one point, and then she dove into this lake, like into this, these jets, or into this pool of water. And something that happened, I guess the bow hitting her, ended up leaving her partially deaf for six days, hmm. uh, which I thought was a fun coincidence just because her character goes deaf in the first one, but they yeah, cut that they out. Yeah, they cut that out of the movie. And then... The universe. The, got the karma. universe was like, no, you Katniss will. Everdeen you will be, be deaf in one deaf. year. <laughs> Temporarily. Uh, yeah. So uh, there was an actress who was a huge fan of the book series and actively sought the role of Joanna Mason, who is who. Um, we're just uh, the what's her name? Uh, Jenna Malone plays. Mm. Uh, sought the role of Joanna Mason in the in the movie. Didn't get it. It was Kristen Bell. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to have to see after watching the movie if yeah. I could imagine Kristen Bell. I've never this seen role. this movie, so I don't know, but I would be interested to see. I can see, I mean, Jennifer Mal- or Jenna Malone and Kristen Bell, th- them being potentially like going out for the same role makes sense to me, but mm-hmm. just a- upon thinking on them. But uh, yeah, I don't know. So uh, I got a few reviews now of the film. Writing for The Village Voice, Stephanie Zacharek praised Jennifer Lawrence's performance, writing that the actress is, quote, both on fire and in the process of becoming, and it's magnificent to watch. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone gave the film three and a half stars out of four and said, quote, pop culture escapism can be thrilling when dished out by experts. Katniss is a character worth, worth a handful of sequels, and Lawrence lights up the screen. You'll follow her anywhere. A negative review came from Sophie Monks Kaufman of Little White Lies, I don't know what that is, who praised Lawrence's performance but criticized the, quote, dilution of the ingredients that made the Hunger Games so gripping, end quote. She also found fault with the lumbering plot, the hamminess of President Snow and Plutarch Heavensby, and the lackluster and unconvincing script culled from a dramatically difficult book. Interesting. Which is interesting. Uh, I mean, I will say that her review... Sounds similar at times to stuff we discussed in the first one. Yeah. Dilution of the ingredients that made the Hunger Games so gripping. Yeah. Is a thing we talked about a lot in the first. I don't know if it would make me give the movie a bad review. Like, I wouldn't right. give have given yeah. the Hunger Games a bad review based on that, but it is something I would say yeah. about the Hunger Games in relation to the book. And this last note is my favorite note that I've ever seen for anything ever. It's my favorite (laughs) trivia fact that has ever been on this show. And I had to include it because it made me laugh out loud while I was doing notes for this. I literally cackled out loud for like 35 (laughs) seconds upon reading this fun fact. This is from IMDb. It may be wrong. It may be bullshit. But I choose to believe that it's real. All three of the songs Ed Sheeran submitted for the film's soundtrack were turned down. (laughs) It's the funniest random trivia fact that I have ever seen. There is somebody on there who just really hates Ed Sheeran and was like, you know what I got to put in here? I will say I, I don't know a lot of Ed Sheeran songs. He does have a very like easily hateable face. Yes. True. He's just got one of those faces that's like, Neh. yeah. I remember that... when he was randomly in Game of Thrones for no oh, reason. God. <laughs> and it wasn't even the worst thing that happened that season. <laughs> um, yeah, I that that I that was such a weird, distinct trivia fact that I again it made me laugh so hard <laughs> that I somebody wrote that down. I was like, hey, Ed Sheeran, remember that time you tried to be in the Hunger Games sequel and they said no three times? Hilarious. <laughs> and it's even for the soundtrack. It's not even, the soundtrack doesn't matter. It's not in yeah. the movie. Like, yeah. it's, it's, 
the, the, an album they release with the movie. It's not like they were going to play, you know, it might play during the credits or something, but it's not ugh, hilarious. All right, Katie, where can people watch Catching Fire? Well, as always, you can check with your local library. Uh, unlike our last episode, this is probably something that they would have. Yes. Uh, or if you still have a local video rental store, uh, go ahead and, you know, support them. We encourage that. Check and see if they have it. You can stream this uh, with ads slash a subscription. It was not clear for oh, some yeah. of these yeah. um, on Peacock, Peacock Premium or Spectrum TV. Mm -hmm. Or you can rent it for around three to four dollars from Redbox, Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Vudu, DirecTV or AMC theaters on demand. Fantastic. So unlike last week, a million places to watch this one, obviously very popular. Some of you probably own a DVD or a yeah, Blu-ray. Yeah. So looking forward to, uh, to talking about it next week. I'm like I said, about a hundred pages in a hundred pages of our large print copy in which our large print copy. I, I imagine is probably like at least 50 or 60 pages longer yeah, than a normal be. copy. Uh, it's like our, our our large print copy is like 500 pages long, and I'm assuming a normal one's probably closer to 400. So I'm 100 pages. I'm about a fifth of the way done with the book. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, we'll talk about all that next week uh, as we discuss The Hunger Games Catching Fire and part two of Katniss Everdeen's quest to overthrow a fascist government. But is it her quest? It's not her quest. It's her 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 begrudgingly thrust into being the the um the face of the rebellion. Is yes. that like what how she I was ends looking up? for yes, I was looking for um the word for the people who dress up in costumes at sporting events. The mascot? The mascot. <laughs> mascot the word mascot left my mind completely that happens to me all the time and i ugh, just sometimes a single word that is a very normal simple word will just not exist in my brain for momentary <laughs> uh just happened again i think i need to eat i think i'm yeah, hungry i think, I think that's what it is uh until next week guys gals non-binary pals everybody else keep reading books keep watching movies and, and keep, keep being dinner. awesome